welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to you guys. Join us online. Hopefully, you're nice and comfy in your pajamas and your favorite coffee. Uh, How many people know the show The Good Place? Raise your hands. All right, we'll pray for you. No, I'm kidding. I I watched the show and enjoyed many of the seasons. For those who haven't seen the show, uh, it's an interesting idea. It it depicts, um, well, basically, it says it depicts hell as being run by demons. This is, I know it's exciting. Uh, it depicts hell being run by demons, and their whole goal is how do we torture these, these human souls that weren't good enough uh, for heaven? And, uh, and just so you know, just so you're clear, I don't get my theology from the show. This has got some two major big problems on the theology of the show. Number one is it has the idea that hell is ruled by demons, and that's not the case. Right? The lake of fire is where the demons are going to be imprisoned. That's where they're going to be tossed into. Uh, and number two, though, is the idea that somehow, you know, whether you qualify for heaven or hell is based on how good you are here on earth. And, and that's not the case, but rather, did you accept Jesus or not? Reject that. So that's just the disclaimer on the, on the show. If you ever start watching that and you're thinking about my theology of hell, that's not what I believe. However, however, what I thought was interesting about this, this show was how they portrayed this idea that demons are coming up with ide- ideas to torture the human souls. And ironically, what's interesting about the show is that the number one way they thought to actually the the most torturous, terrifying, miserable existence is to create a place where they think that if they act good, then somehow they will qualify and be good. And so they're always chasing a standard, but never coming up and matching it, which is a great picture, really, of what life under the law looks like. And so it's an interesting kind of take on on, on the show there. But what got me thinking about that show, though, was some of the ways that really are good torture techniques, right? Like, like what would you do if you were going to torture someone in this way, right? So obvious things, just listening to, to nails on a blackboard, right? That would be, be a great way to torture people. Or uh, perpetually showing up at restaurants and hearing, is Pepsi OK? <laughs> right? That would be torture. Um, or, or, or forever watching other people's family vacations on those old slide projectors. Remember those? And you just the slide would switch over. Or, or maybe perpetual Zoom meetings. Right? I mean, that in itself would be torture, but you could even go next level with buffering issues or where they just, their face freezes in awkward places. Or, or it's jumping, you know, the, 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 it's not in sync anymore, audio and video. There's all kinds of ways to torture people. But when I think about the, maybe the, the, the most terrifying form of torture would be perpetually shopping at Costco. <laughs> just, just aimlessly wandering up and down the aisles and never escaping that place. And, and I just think that's, that is probably one of the most, you know, despairing places I can find, right? Uh, as you can see, I don't find shopping life-giving, right? Uh, particularly around the holiday seasons, uh, it's just a desire, just a mess, right? I, I think I'd rather sit in a traffic jam 
than, than sit in a Costco traffic jam. There's just, you know, people just stop in their carts in the middle of the lane and go check the ingredients for a little while, and you're just standing there. And it's just infuriating, right? So I'm, I'm of the mindset, I want to get in, get what I need, and get out as quick as I can, right? I'm a hunter when it comes to shopping, right? And so often what I do to survive the, the madness is I'll, I'll put in some earbuds and I'll listen to a podcast or some songs just to help trying to get me through it. So I apologize that if I run into you while, while I'm shopping, if I don't seem personable, it's just an area of growth for me, okay? There's, an, there's room for me to grow in learning to trust Jesus is what I'm basically saying there. But, but I remember one time that I did. It's probably the only time I trusted Jesus shopping, but, but there was one time I did, and I remember I was, I was coming through the, the checkout line. And, and again, that's just the, it's just something to endure, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the checkout line, and I, and I see the girl who's checking out the groceries, and she's wearing this really, really nice dress, but she's miserable. And I don't blame her. I mean, it's bad enough to be there for an hour or so shopping. Could you imagine a full shift? Granted, you're getting paid, but still. I mean, I can understand the oppression that this young lady must be under. And so she's got this look on her face that says, I don't really want to engage. I don't want to talk to you. I just, I just want my shift to be over. And I get it. But I had this thought that said, I should tell her that she's beautiful. And I, I checked that thought, make sure that was God that was saying that. And quick prayer. And God said, yeah. And so I, I, I said to her, I, I first I said, I pointed to my ring. And I said, just, you know, I'm happily married, just so she doesn't get the wrong idea. I'm happily married, but I want you to know you look really beautiful today. And it was amazing to see the look on her face. The, her countenance just whole, lifted up. She began to smile, and, and she looked like she enjoyed herself. It was like this demonic oppression just lifted off her shoulders, right? Just from that little simple phrase, I think you look really nice today. And it's just such a reminder to me of of the power of, of positive words, the power of, of words of affirmation or words of encouragement. And, and so that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to kind of take a moment and see how God used those words and how that might be a clue or, or an invitation for us, how we might use those words of, of, of prophetic words of, of powerful affirmation. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for this morning and this opportunity to, to get together, whether we're in person or whether we're online or, or whether we're watching this later on. I just thank you, Lord, that we get to, to commune with you. And I, I'm, I know and I'm trusting, God, that you have something very special for each of us, that you want to encourage us, you want to lift our hearts up, you want to build us up, you want to strengthen our faith in you so that we lean into you and we trust you in greater ways and experience more of your life in and through us. And so I'm going to trust you as best I know how, Lord, and speak through me. Speak life to each and every one of us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, my, my engineering brain is attracted to, to patterns and structure. I just, there's something about that that just draws my mind and sharpens my focus, my understanding. And, and the book of Genesis is filled with such things, these patterns and structures. Uh, but especially chapter 1. As, as he's laying out through these, these different days of creation. In fact, each of the days of, of the six days of creation begins with, then God said, and then he would go and he'd create certain things or he'd make things and so forth. And then it would end with him saying, and there was evening and morning on day, whatever day that was. And so there's great structure to all that. 
And, and we see through each of these days, through each of these significant moments where God's creating things, he would take a moment and he would step back and he'd evaluate what he just made. So on day one, after the light appears, God said that the light was good. He said it twice on day three, first after creating the earth and separating the seas, God said that it was good. And then after bringing forth the fruit and the vegetables, he called them good. Yes, even the vegetables, even though you might argue with that one. And then on day four, he called the sun, moon, and the stars good. And on day five, after making all the sea creatures and the birds, he called them good. And then on day six, after making the cattle and the animals and even those creepy crawly ones, God stepped back and he admired his handiwork and he says, it's good. And each step along the way, God's admiring, he's taking it in, he's blessing his handiwork. But on day six, after creating man and woman, the Lord of creation, he, he, he steps back and he sees it all. And now he sees this, this man and this woman, these, these people who are, are given now creation to rule and to reign. And when he evaluates it all, he says it is very good. So six times he called creation good. On the seventh time, he stepped back and he called it very good. We could translate it good to the extreme or good to the max is what he's saying. And essentially what, he's, what he was doing is before creation was good, but it was incomplete. It was still missing something. And that something that it was missing was essentially God. That while his fingerprints were all over creation at this point, he created man and woman in his own image. Meaning that if, if all of creation ever wanted to know what the God of the universe looked like or was like, who could they look to? They could look to Adam and Eve. And so when God now saw Adam and Eve in, in a part of creation, who was he seeing? A reflection of himself. Hence the very good. He's a good judge of character. And so he's saying it's very good now. It's complete. It's got everything they need because now of man and woman being there. Because when they were created, they were created good. And they were created as pure and honest and upright and protectors and strong and yet still gentle. That's good to the extreme. That's good to the max. Well, I was pondering this idea, though, of, of, of this statement. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's very good. Why, why did God feel the need to say all that? I mean, he knew that. And it's not like he had to inform Jesus and the Holy Spirit or they're informing God the Father. They knew what they were saying was good. And while I was pondering, I kept, I kept thinking about the story of Jesus' baptism. So, so let me read to you from Mark's gospel how, how Mark described it. So Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and a spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Let's, let's put this moment in, in perspective. Let's put it on the timeline of Jesus. At this point, when Jesus is baptized, he's done no public ministry. He's done no public miracles. He, he's done no sermons, no, no you know, big preaching messages, none of that. He hasn't done anything. It's before all of his public ministry. And so it's not that he's done something that God is now rewarding him for. It's before all of it starts. And when God says this, 
He says it for Jesus. Notice he's not, he's not saying this for everyone else around them. Hey, this is my son. Listen to him. He's a good kid. He's speaking this to Jesus. You, Jesus, you are my beloved son. I'm so proud of you, Jesus. I'm well pleased with you. Those words of affirmation and encouragement were meant for Jesus. Well, why? Could it, could it simply be that Jesus needed to hear those words? I think so. I think, I think even Jesus needed to hear those words of encouragement. <clears throat> when, um, when I'm counseling with men, one of the things we do is we, we get to know their stories. We get to know what it was like for them to grow up. And we ask about their, their parents and particularly ask about their father because of the, the key role their father plays in their lives. And one of the questions I like to ask them is, is, can you think of a time when your father told you that he was really proud of you? And it's, it's amazing how you can almost just see this blank stare come on their face. And they, they just sort of shake their head, no. No, I, 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 I don't think so. And then I asked the next question, what would it have meant to you? What would it have meant to you to actually hear your father say to you, I'm proud of you? And it's in that moment their head often drops. And they, they just shake their head again, and they think it would have changed everything. Everything would have been so different because of, of how, how it would have changed how I lived my life. Because so much of what I did was trying to prove myself and trying to get that sense of pride from him. It's massive. It's so important. And so never, never underestimate the, word, the power that words have to affirm and to build up and to even encourage. Just in the same way they can tear down, they have the same power to build up. That's why I, I tell my girls that, that they're beautiful. And when they were really little, it was interesting. They just would just melt. They would just, it was so cool to see them just melt. Now they just roll their eyes and say, I know. <laughs> Which means I'm doing my job and I'm not stopping. Or I tell my boy that I'm, I'm proud of him. And, and it's just amazing to see him light up. He, just, he seems to grow two inches every time. And it's beautiful to see. And it's right to see that power of encouraging them. And so I want to think about how do I, how do I, how do I illustrate to you what that means, what that looks like? And, and so, so I need a volunteer. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate that. Come on up here. Rather, rather than just telling you about affirmation, I thought I would illustrate it to you. And I'm going to use Peter now. <laughs> so we, we, we were blessed this morning by his leadership as he led the, the time of worshiping through song. And what, what we see here is the heart of this man come out. What I love about, about Peter is his authenticity and his fight for authenticity how he, he will fight for you and I. And he's, he's not going to settle with the, I'm fine, everything's OK. He will ask the next question, but, but how are you really doing? 
because he honestly and he genuinely cares about our hearts. And, I, and I've experienced that just watching him as a counselor. I mean, it's amazing how he'll, he'll, he'll tell me stories about how he'll be sitting there and he'll counsel with someone, and then he'll get this weird thought, this weird question that he's never thought of before, never asked before, but he knows it's the right question. He asks the question, and suddenly the whole person just unlocks and opens up. And it's, it's God speaking through Peter. And I'm just so proud of how well you hear God, and then you risk it. And we've talked a lot about the unearned confidence that we have and, and how, how special that is and how important it is. But, but it takes guts and courage to actually then step out and risk failure. But you're able to do that. And in doing that, you love so well. And you encourage people so well. Do you see what this is like? This is so good. Actually, I want to invite everyone right now to encourage our brother Peter. So Jeremy's got the mic. So if you've got something you want to say, just stand up and, and Jeremy's going to share. And, and for those online, you can participate too. In the chat, whatever you want to say to encourage Peter, affirm Peter, you let that happen. But, but it, seriously, if you want to say something, Jeremy's got the mic and he's going he's gonna to allow you to, to share something. But, but there's more I want to say about this brother. Because he's so genuine. He's a warrior. I mean, there have been many times I've been, I've been sitting in my office and I've been overwhelmed with, with life or maybe a counseling appointment, and he, he's, he's the first one to walk in and see that and sit down and says, how you doing? And he's a safe person for me to just unload on, to just share where I'm at and all the messiness and all the struggle and all the pain and the frustration, and he just loves me back. And there's no fear that he's going to judge me or he's going to misunderstand my heart, or he's going to put me down. And so you love so well, brother. And your father's so proud of you, because I feel that pride for you. Who wants in on this? <laughs> oh, we got, we got joy here. <laughs> hey, Peter, I just wanted to say, like, um, on doing worship with you for, is it almost three years now? something like that. I know, um, I know the kind of struggle that's been for you. I know the kind of fears that you've faced because of that and, and the past stories you come with with that. And I think it's just been incredible to watch you keep going and keep doing it and do like God has asked you to be there and you want to be there and you keep coming and you lead us in incredible times of intimacy with God. And again, this morning, listening to like the songs that you chose in prayer um, and how much they ministered to me, I just think it's amazing to watch how you follow God and how you let him lead through you in that way. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, we got Nikki over here. Oh, we got, we got Norm as well. Okay, so um, I, I, I play a little golf once in a while. And uh, this gentleman here was with me uh, one particular day that was, how would we say, brutal? I was so frustrated, and the only thing I really wanted to do was just take my clubs and break them. So this gentleman was so kind to me through that whole process. It was a number of holes, and it was just getting worse and worse and worse. But he encouraged me. And I was so thankful just by your encouragement and just, just to live 
live out my, you know, my life in a, in a way that's a little more, let's say, calm and gather my thoughts and relax and just know that the Lord's with you and it's just a golf game, Norm. It's just a golf game. Thank you, Peter, for helping me just realize it's just a golf game and uh, just encouraging me through that mess that I had that particular day. But he, he is, yeah, yeah. Anyways, a great encourager. Thank you so much. Right, we'll do one more with Nikki, and then we'll, we'll let Peter off the, the hot seat. We'll have some mercy, some mercy on him. But I, I want you to know, I, I knew you could handle this, because it takes a lot of strength to sit up here and do this. But I, I believe in you. <laughs> So you and I, Peter, we have gotten to know each other very well, especially over the last couple of years, but and then the last year especially. And I echo a lot of what Ross has said about your willingness to go down into a pit with somebody and sit in the mess. And you've done that many, many times with me and I know many other people as well. Um, so just your heart for others is so evident. and your willingness to go with them into the mess and sit with them there and then to come back out and help them out of that pit as well and sit with them on the mountaintop as well. Um, so just your willingness to go and come alongside people is just astounding. And your obedience to God, even in the really awkward and the hard moments is, is just something else I admire about you so, so much. Thank you very much, brother. Thank you. Love you too. So if we can give the, the mic to Peter just for a second. How, if I can ask you this question, how was that? Terrible. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, you had all these people love on you on the internet, so it'll be there forever. Isn't that... <laughs> and there's no dove, no, I, I couldn't pull in the dove. For most people, I think our feelings like Peter, right? That it is hard to receive those words of encouragement. And, and I, I think the reason is because basically what those words of encouragement begin to do is they stir up a hornet's nest of shame, right? Because what, what's happening now is our enemy is under attack. Because it, those, those words of encouragement are attacking the, the well-crafted lies that our enemy has been placing in our minds about who we are. And, and he's not about just to roll over and, and give in to the fight. Instead, what he does is he doubles down at that point, and he, he takes the fight up to another level, and he just begins to, to send more intense messages of shame. Right? So thoughts such as, such as well, he's just being polite. He, he doesn't really mean it. He's not, he's not actually sincere. It's just an illustration that he, he could use. It. He could have picked anyone in the room. He could have done this about Jeremy, for example. Or if he, if he really knew the struggles, if he really knew the thoughts I've had about him sometimes, if he, if he really knew what I failed at and how I've blown it here and there and all over and over again, how, how can any of this be true? How, how can they possibly see me this way 
when I see myself in such a different way. And so when, when the messages of shame come, it's so hard to receive them, to receive those messages of affirmation because of how powerful shame is. Because what happens is we hold, we hold in one hand the words of affirmation, and the other hand we hold the words of shame, and we don't know how they compute. We don't know how, they, how to reconcile the two. Can anyone relate to this? I know I can. You know what I do in this moment? I'm, what I'm tempted to do more than anything else is to deflect. Because that, I, can't, I can't reconcile the two, but if I can just sort of put the words of affirmation down, then I can handle the shame, which I'm so used to and comfortable with and, and adds up in my mind. And so I, I deflect. I, I, I push it away. So for example, maybe I'm teaching somewhere and someone would come up afterwards and was really blessed by something that God said through me and they want to encourage me that way and they say, thank you, what was so great. And inside I have this temptation to say, well, oh, it was just God. Ever heard that one? Oh, it's just God. And, and really the answer to that is, really? Because it looked like you up there. And the reality is it was me. It was God through me but I'm so uncomfortable because that shame is making me uncomfortable that I feel like the only way to silence the shame is to jettison the encouragement, to to jettison those words of affirmation. And I deflect, I I, I kind of change the subject, I get away from that conversation as quickly as I can. But the reality is, in doing that, it doesn't actually help me. It doesn't help the fight in any way. All it does is just continues to entrench the enemy and their lies about what they're saying about me, rather than experiencing the reality of what God thinks about me. And so really, the the best thing to do in that moment is to receive it and to embrace it. To actually allow those, those positive, encouraging words that are from God. That it's just God speaking through one another to encourage us, to actually embrace it and to receive it and to let it sink in deep into our heart, deep into our souls, despite what the voice of shame says. Because what happens is the more I embrace it, the more I let it sink in, the more I believe it, the quieter that voice of shame will become because it won't add up anymore. Then instead of, instead of jettisoning the, the words of affirmation to hold on to the voice of shame, I can let go of the voice of shame and hold on to the voice of affirmation. Because the reality is, when you experience that kind of affirmation, shame can't survive. Any more than a campfire could survive at the bottom of the ocean. It's just overwhelmed with love. And that's what God's doing. And I think that's what God's wanting us to do as a church. But I've discovered it's not only awkward to receive, it's also awkward to give. Has anyone ever noticed that? It's it's hard for people to offer those words of encouragement. And I I think there's a few different reasons for that. See, the the power of those words of affirmation are are meaningful and more meaningful the deeper you have a relationship with that person. Meaning if, if, if I just met Peter for the first time and I call him up here and I do all that, it doesn't have the same punch. Because Peter would rightly say, well, you don't actually know me. But the fact that I know Peter so well, that I've worked alongside him for a number of years, that I've seen him at his best, I've seen him at his worst, and I can still say all these things, has meaning and power to it. But the problem is often in a relationship, the deeper the relationship, 
the more likely there's been opportunities for hurt and offense. And that's, that's probably especially true in marriages where, where I see the person, and yeah, I see the positive things, but I'm also reminded of all the things they've done to hurt me. And the, again, the closer the relationship, that hurt is inevitable. It's like two people dancing together. You're, you're inevitably going to step on one another's toes. And so we see that in marriages all the time. And so now it's hard to offer that affirmation because all I see is their hurt and their pain and the sorrow that they've caused me. So what do I do there? And I think there's two things we do. Number one, if you haven't already, to forgive. And remember, forgiveness is not for the other person. It's for you. Because forgiveness is a poison to our own souls. That bitterness only poisons us. And so we forgive so that we can be free. But number two, I think... The, the best way to offer affirmation is probably to look beyond what they do to who they are, to look more at their heart, to, to appreciate how God sees them. Because remember, when God sees them, what does he say? They're very good. That's my beloved child. See, in 1 Samuel 16, in verse 7, God gives us some insight as to how he sees people. He says, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Man looks at what he does and his behavior and his performance. But God looks at the heart. God looks beyond all that. He looks to who you are at the core of your being. And so in those moments when you're going to offer these words of affirmation to someone who's hurt you, pray. Say, God, will you show me this person as you see them? Will you, will you open my eyes to see what you love and appreciate about them so that I can now offer to them that kind of love and affirmation? And what you'll see often is he looks beyond what they do into who they are, their character and the attitude in which they do things. So, for example, rather than like, you know, affirming a spouse, thank you for taking out the garbage, which is good to say and good to do, but maybe go and beyond that and say, you know, thank you for willing to do all that. It's a, it's a sacrifice of love, but you're willing to love the rest of the family every time you do that. And I really appreciate your heart behind it. Now that's, that's way more than just the act. That's now speaking to the person's heart and it's affirming their soul. And that's what we want to do. That's how we want to encourage one another. Now, another misbelief, I think, that gets in the way is that we're worried that it's only going to feed their pride. And I think this is a common misunderstanding in the church because we, we have all these verses that talk about how sinful pride is, how pride comes before the fall, or how God opposes the pride. And so we want to avoid that pride. We want to avoid being proud. And we're afraid that if, if I offer you those words of affirmation, then suddenly your hell, head's going to swell so big, it's going to be impossible to live with you. Right? That's Megan's problem with Greg. <laughs> he does have a big head, right? <laughs> anyway, so, but, but it's, it's a whole, it's, it's based on a lie here, right? And so what ends up happening now is we're afraid that what if I were to praise the, the worship team up here or praise the great work that the AV team does every week to set up and make everyone sound and look good? What if, what if I were to praise someone based on how they look? Are we worried that it's just going to feed their pride? And the answer is maybe. It might. Because there are some people 
who, who live off of, in an unhealthy way, they live off of the praise and the encouragement of other people. And so they're always doing things, hoping to get noticed, to get that feedback. Oh, good. I'm okay. And that's an unhealthy relationship to those words of affirmation. So do you just withdraw that? Well, I think, I think a, a, a parallel analogy would be sort of like people who struggle with food. Well, if someone struggles with food, do you just take food away from them? No, because they need food to live. They need food to, to survive and to thrive. And so food's important. What you want to do is you want to teach them a healthy relationship with food. And I think the same is true with words of affirmation. And chances are if that person is living off, their, living, uh, off of, in an unhealthy way, the, uh, off those words of affirmation, it's probably because they're desperate for it. Think about those kids who act out trying to get attention. Because any attention is good attention, even if it's bad attention. And so they're acting out, hoping to get attention. You know what you do at that moment? You offer them attention. Because what they're saying is, do you love me? Am I lovable? Do you see me? Do you notice me? And they're crying out when they're crying out for attention. They're crying out, will you love me? And you don't withhold that love. You, you overwhelm them with love. And so maybe one of the things you do is if you're wondering if maybe, maybe they are worried about living off the, the affirmation and they're, they're performing to get it, then, then when you offer words of affirmation, go beyond what they're doing. Speak directly to their heart and who they are. Encourage them and build them up based on, on how the, the spirit and the attitude they have. And what you will see happen, I think, is that it will fill their hearts in a way that, that performance couldn't do. And they won't be drawn to the performance because what you're doing is you're, when you're speaking to their heart, you're ultimately speaking to who God's made them. And their focus and attention will shift off of you and back to God. And that's what you want. That's where they're going to find that healthy affirmation coming from anyways. Another misconception, I think, is that we often believe it's a zero-sum game. Meaning, if, if I offer affirmation to Norm, then he wins, but I lose. That somehow that it's going to build him up at my expense. And so we think of it as a, as a win-lose kind of scenario. And so I'm going to withhold that affirmation because to praise him will diminish what I'm doing. Well, the beauty of affirmation is it's a win-win scenario. We have to think of it as like a rising tide floats all the boats. And that's what happens when you affirm people, especially in relationships that you're close with, like marriages and, and close friends, that when doing that, in offering that affirmation and that encouragement, everyone begins to rise up. Everyone begins to feel encouraged. We need to think of it that way. Another one, I think, is that we find it awkward because we haven't, we haven't seen it very much. And so it's hard for us to actually say it. We're, we're sometimes thinking things such as, what are they thinking while I'm saying this? And we get so stuck in our own head at this moment. Do, do, do they think I want something? Like, does Peter think I want to borrow $20 from him now? Like, is, is that what they're thinking about me? Is, do, they, do they think that I'm just fishing for compliments for myself? That if I, if I praise them, that it's like, okay, now it's your turn to praise me back. Is, is that what they're thinking that? Or, or if, what, if I, what if I say the wrong things and it comes out weird? Because that's, that's a high likelihood, by the way, that it's going to come out weird and I'm going to be awkward about it. 
And then it's going to make the moment awkward, and it's going to make the friendship awkward, and I, I, I don't know what to say. And, and what if they're just like stunned and they're quiet and they don't know what to say anything? Now where do we go with it? And so we have all these fears of what could happen, all these doubts, and so we pull back. And we miss out the opportunity that God has for us. And, and so maybe what we do in those moments is we just we pray and we say, God, how do you want to say it? And we trust them with it. I know it's a novel concept to trust God sometimes, but, but let's trust God to, to give us the words and tell us how to say it and leave the results to him. And if it's awkward, so be it. At least I was following God as best I knew how in that moment. And now as they go, God can work with them. Because I'm pretty sure what Peter experienced this morning, he's going to be feeling for a few days from now. As Father keeps speaking to him, and tells him how sincere and how important all those words were to him. And I think, I think these words of affirmation are critical to the health of a church. In fact, Paul, he talks about this in his letters to, to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 14, especially when they gather together as a group. So let me read to you in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. He says, pursue love. Yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more than that, that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that, he may, so that the church may receive edifying. You know, it's interesting. When we think about the spectacular, fantastic, amazing miracles of God, we often think of things like miracles of healing and, and restoration, right? Like how many of you would, would just be amazed if someone who was lame jumped up and began to walk? Or began to dance. Would we not all be kind of amazed and shocked and think, wow, God, that's an incredible miracle you just done? Or, or maybe wouldn't it be kind of cool if, if Cheryl jumped up right now and she began to speak in Italian and she doesn't know Italian and she speaks it. But then even more incredibly, Susan jumps up and she interprets it and she doesn't know Italian either. But in, in perfect Italian, something about spaghetti and meatballs, right? It's just incredible. Wouldn't that be amazing? We'd all be like, wow, God, this is incredible. But you know what Paul says is even better than all that? These words of affirmation. Because that's all what prophecy is. Sometimes we get stuck on this idea of prophecy, and we, we start thinking about, oh, that's like fortune telling and telling the future and, and speaking big words and dreams over people, and, and we make it into something much bigger than it really is. It's, it's really kind of simple. It's, it's edification, which means to build up, which means to affirm. It's exhortation, which means to strengthen and point in the right direction. And it's consolation, which means to comfort and come alongside and bless people. That's all words of prophecy is. Paul says, I would much rather have people get up 
and share that with the body of Christ, then see a miracle of healing or restoration. Because that, that's love. That's, that kind of love is contagious. That kind of love transforms hearts and souls and lives forever. It has a ripple effect into so many people's lives. And so he's not saying that, that, oh, we don't care about speaking in tongues or we don't want to see miracles of healing and those sorts. That's great to see. But what I want to see more, Paul says, is those words of affirmation and encouragement. And, and that's our desire here at New Life, is that, that that would be commonplace, that when we gather, that we could expect that there would be people sharing these words of affirmation that it would, it would really become central or key to our culture, not just when we gather on a Sunday morning even, but maybe when we get together as a group on a Tuesday night or a Friday night, or, or maybe even when you gather somewhere at a coffee shop or a park or, or anywhere. You know, one of the, one of the things that we do from time to time as leaders, we'd get together, you know, the various leadership teams or teams and leaders of those teams, we'd get together for a leadership meeting, and, and we don't do them as often as, as we used to because of COVID, and, and I miss them. Not, not because I miss meetings. I, I'm done with meetings. I'm, I've had enough meetings. When I, when I was a young engineer, I was, like, excited about meetings. That wore off pretty quick. Now meetings are just more busy time, right? But, but these meetings I looked forward to and loved. Because one of the first things we did, the first thing on every agenda of every meeting, is we would, we would pick a couple. Some would say we'd ambush them like Peter, but we would pick a couple, and we would just invite the rest of the group to offer words of encouragement, just like you saw we did with Peter. It'd be amazing, because it would just go around the room in a random way. And someone would say something, and someone would jump and go, that's exactly what I was thinking, too. And it would go on for about 45 minutes. And it would just overwhelm that person or that couple with love and affirmation and praise. And it's beautiful to see. And so we want to experience that. And so, so one of the things we can do here at New Life is, is what we want to do. We want to make sure that, that it's not just whoever's preaching that morning or, or whoever's leading worship gets an opportunity to speak. Because I believe that the, the, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit lives in me, lives in you guys. And that he wants to say something and share something from you guys from time to time. We want to make space for that. We want to make opportunities for that. And so one of the things you can do is if you feel that God has something on your heart, share it. Just grab one of the elders. And the reason we want to grab one of the elders is, is A, that we can kind of fit you in, find a the right time to share that. Uh, also, sometimes it's to kind of vet it. Because I did hear one story. Where, where a lady got up and she wanted to share something. And the guy said, well, we're running out of time, but OK, here's the mic. And she got up there in front of the whole crowd and says, this is great. I love being here. You know what? Your God should get together with my God. They're going to have a great time together. It's like, whoa, <laughs> should have vetted that one, right? So that's we just want to protect everyone, protect people. And that's why I want you to come and share with us. But we want you to have the opportunity to share with the church. And so, again, that's, that's available every time we get together. If you say, I've got something that God wants to share with the church, go for it. Now, again, Peter was a little bit unique in the sense that it was very specific to Peter. And I, I wanted to illustrate that. But generally, I think what's going to happen is, is when you get up, you're going to share some words of encouragement to the whole church. 
that God's put on your heart. And you'll know it because you can't contain it. Now, what's kind of neat and cool is that we're no longer limited to just when we get together in person, because now we can do it online. And, and so you can do it online while you're watching this message, or, or you can go to that Facebook community group that we have, which is, is a private group. It's not out to the whole world. It's only out to here at New Life. And you can share something there. Sue did that recently, where she had something on her heart that she wanted to bless the whole church with. And we were tremendously blessed by it, Sue. So thank you for having the courage and doing it. And so we have opportunities to do that here at New, at New Life. But you know what? You also have a great opportunity to do it with your home, with your family and your friends. Right? To maybe around the dinner table or around sit down on the couch with one another. And we do this with our family and our kids, especially when they're going at each other. We think, okay, we need a reset. And everyone take a time, take a moment. I want you to I want you to encourage another one. Encourage someone else. And it's amazing how it just begins to change our minds. It transforms what we're thinking. Because they're no longer focused on how this person's annoying me to seeing this is part of my family, someone that I love, someone I care about, someone that God says is good to the max. And we, it changes the dynamic. It changes the relationship there. We could do it at work, right? Just small comments about, you know, hey, to a coworker, I, I really appreciate that presentation you did. Or, you know what, I've been noticing how hard you've been working over here. I, I just want to give you thanks for that. You're doing a great job. And that could be to a fellow coworker, maybe even to your boss or to someone who's below you on the, the management chain. But how would that begin to transform our workplaces? I think, I think you would experience something similar to what that lady experienced at Costco, where that, that weight of sourness begins to lift because people begin to feel appreciated and significant there. And I think we could even, again, do it here at church. Where if God puts something in your heart, share it with us. We desperately want to hear from you guys. We, we, we want to hear ultimately from God. And that, to me, is the greatest thrill. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you love us this much. You love us to the max. That you are able to see past our failures, past our struggles, past our addictions, past the shameful things that we've done, and even the painful and shameful things we've experienced. And you're able to see our hearts. You're able to see the spirit, the new spirit that you've created, that you have joined to your son Jesus now, that is good and pure. And you want to affirm us there. You want to bless us. You want to encourage us. You want to build us up. And I pray, Father, that, that we would have the courage to receive it, that we would have the courage to embrace it, that we would risk trusting that it's true, and that we would be willing to offer it to others around us, to be a vessel of your grace, a vessel of your life and your love, be a light into this world that would transform our own smaller relationships and our family and then our friends and our church, and then our city, and our province, and our country, and even the world. In your name we pray, amen. 
You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.